Hi there, you're listening to the Unabridged Christian Fiction Audiobook Podcast. I'm your host, Alana Terry, and this season of the Unabridged Podcast is the Terror in the Sky series. This is an unforgettable, fast-paced collection of six novellas that tell you the story of what happens when multiple strangers board a doomed flight. I hope that you enjoy this episode of the Unabridged Christian Fiction Audiobook Podcast. Chapter 9 Bradley's timer beeped. He pulled his phone out of his pocket and turned off the alarm. The silence was terrifying. That's five minutes, he declared in a monotone. Time's up. Chelsea held her breath. Any doubts she had about Bradley's willingness to use the air marshal's gun had already vanished when he shot the first passenger. Now it wasn't a question of whether or not he was going to kill. The only question was who would end up in the aisle next, collapsed in a puddle of blood. For a brief stint during her tenth grade year, Chelsea had entertained thoughts of going into the medical field. Nursing, maybe labor and delivery, she wasn't sure. Plans changed one night in youth group when they were playing a raucous game of sardines in the dark. Bree tripped over a stair on the sanctuary platform, cracking her forehead open on the baptistry. While they waited for Bree's mother to pick her up and take her to the ER, Chelsea sat beside her best friend, terrified that Bree was about to bleed to death by her side. It was that night when Chelsea realized she could never handle blood or trauma or basically any type of emergency. Bree was fine. She didn't even need stitches. It didn't matter how many adults and experts assured Chelsea that the amount of blood from head injuries almost always made them appear worse than they were. She'd spent ten terrible minutes convinced her best friend was going to die, just like the man in that car accident when she was a kid. And given how her body still shook the next morning when she woke up, Chelsea realized she just wasn't built to handle emergency situations. A lot changed that night. Bree now had a permanent scar above her left eyebrow. The teens from youth group weren't allowed to run in the sanctuary anymore. And Chelsea gave up her plans for nursing. Maybe if Chelsea had continued down that career path, things would be different now. She'd have no reason to be on this flight to Detroit, for one thing. There was a verse Chelsea and Bree had memorized when they were on the Bible quiz team together in middle school. Chelsea still remembered it verbatim. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It was the kind of passage meant to encourage Christians to persevere during hard times, knowing that good would eventually come from their trials. But how would you tell that to the man Bradley had just killed? How would you tell that to the next victim he shot? Mr. Weston, Bradley boomed. He spoke into the cameras that were pointed at him as if he'd hosted his own YouTube talk show for decades. 
Chelsea couldn't help but wonder what might have happened if he'd put this same amount of energy that he spent on hijacking this airplane into actually campaigning or raising awareness for the students of Brown Elementary. I've been patient with you, Mr. Weston, Bradley announced. I've given you five minutes to call me. More than five minutes, actually. And you know what I've gotten from you? Nothing. Nada. I thought that if I made this personal, if I actually had your daughter on board this flight with me, that you'd be willing to negotiate. I guess I was wrong. He paused, stared at the camera, and glowered. You've had ample time, he said, and plenty of warning. I just want you to rest assured that everything that happens from this moment forward is entirely your fault. Chelsea turned around in her seat as Bradley's resumed pacing brought him closer to the front of the plane. She couldn't look at him, didn't dare to breathe for fear of drawing attention to herself. Was it fair? Was it right? If she made herself little, if she hoped that Bradley would pass her by, did that mean she was actively wishing for someone else to die? She tried to picture Clark's face, tried to guess what her coach would tell her now to help her calm down, help her regain her composure. But when she pictured Clark here on this plane with her, he was just as terrified as she was. God help us. There was no way over the roar of the airplane engines that Chelsea should be able to hear Bradley's boots as he stomped up and down the aisle, but her senses were heightened exponentially, and each step he took sent shivers of panic and terror racing up her spine. "'This is your fault, Mr. Weston,' Bradley repeated, then reached out and grabbed a flight attendant by the elbow. "'Get over here,' he growled at her. Chelsea hated herself for feeling even a hint of relief. Is this what terrorism did to you? It made you happy when somebody else was about to get killed because at least you yourself had the chance to survive. Chelsea already carried enough guilt in her life. Guilt for not being happier, more thankful. Guilt for being depressed when she'd been blessed with such a privileged upbringing— and now she was supposed to live with survivor's guilt on top of that? She hated herself, hated how she'd never appreciated life until this exact moment. How sick and twisted was it that it took an act of terrorism for her to finally feel thankful for everything she'd been given? God, I'm so sorry. Her prayer sounded pathetic, ridiculous and yet she held on to what her parents and pastor and youth group leader always told her growing up. You can be a thousand steps away from the Lord, but it's only one step back. She knew she was a trope, knew she was only praying this hard because it felt as if her life literally depended on it. But that didn't change the fact that it was the sincerest offering she'd ever lifted up to heaven. God, I'm so sorry for not taking my relationship with you more seriously. I'm so sorry that I haven't been living for you like I should. I'm so sorry for not being more thankful and loving and kind. I'm just sorry all around. She held her breath and waited. 
She'd never prayed that earnestly before in her life. Shouldn't something happen now? The air marshal should wake up, break free, and overcome the hijacker. God could send an entire legion of angels to protect the innocent passengers. Or just strike Bradley down dead. Didn't he do that once for one of the wicked kings in the Old Testament? Something. Anything. Instead, silence. Silence until Bradley snarled at the trembling flight attendant, aimed his gun, and stared at the cameras. Remember, Mr. Weston, this is entirely your fault. The shot sounded through the cabin, ringing over the screams of the terrified passengers. Then the flight attendant fell to the floor. Chelsea turned around in her seat so she didn't have to watch the blood pool. That's another soul on Charles Weston's conscience, Bradley declared. Five more minutes, and if I don't hear from you by then, another hostage dies. Chapter 10 Chelsea had covered a fair number of disturbing stories in the past— a Kenyan college student attacked brutally and without provocation by a white police officer, a murdered Boston politician, a Medford pastor shot in his own home. All around Massachusetts, children went missing, spouses got beat up, victims were abused repeatedly every single day. For most of her career, Chelsea found ways to separate herself from the trauma she covered— it was the only way she could keep on doing what she did. That didn't mean she was without compassion or empathy. It was just that because she was so compassionate and empathetic, she had to come up with coping mechanisms to protect herself from the terror and crimes she reported about on a daily basis. Now, Chelsea wasn't even thinking about herself as a journalist— it didn't matter that her editor continued to give her bigger and more high-profile cases to cover. It didn't matter that this trip to Detroit meant Chelsea was breaking out of her local sphere and into the world of national reporting. Who cared? And what was it all for if Chelsea was going to be the next person to die when Bradley's timer went off anyway? He was continuing to pace the aisles. When his phone rang, he pulled it out of his pocket and answered with a smirk. This is Bradley. He wasn't what she would have expected a terrorist to sound like. When she looked at him, it felt as if she were staring at a man who could have been her third-grade teacher or the guy working on his laptop beside her at the corner cafe. Bradley's phone was set on speaker and Chelsea strained her ears to hear the lifeline whose voice rang out from the other side. "'This is Frank,' the man said. "'Brad, is that you? May I call you Brad?' Chelsea watched as the hijacker's face and expression grew even more angry and irritated. "'What do you want?' he growled. "'I want to talk to the superintendent.' "'I know, Brad, I know.' Chelsea tried to picture Frank on the other end of the line, tried to imagine who this man was, how he managed to get through to a cell phone on an airplane flying 30,000 feet in the air. 
It wasn't until she started to get lightheaded that she realized she was holding her breath. Would this frank person, whoever he was, manage to convince Bradley to put down his gun and let them all go? Chelsea had never covered a real-life hostage situation before. Of course, she was familiar with the most famous cases. The Stockholm bank heist gone wrong. The Patty Hearst ordeal, where the victim ended up shocking the police and FBI by siding with her captors. Chelsea recalled details from a true crime podcast she listened to, where a rich young heiress was kidnapped, held for ransom, and ended up falling in love with her abductor. Of course, not every hostage developed feelings of dependency on their captors. Sitting where she was, cowering in fear and drenched in sweat, Chelsea wondered how anybody could sympathize with someone like this madman in their cabin. It certainly wasn't the first time that Chelsea had felt scared during a job— There was that riot that broke out when she was covering what should have been a peaceful prayer vigil. In another instance, Chelsea had gotten threatening letters, strongly urging her in no uncertain terms to drop a case she was covering about a senator's daughter who got kidnapped a few years ago. In each and every one of those situations, Chelsea had been able to convince herself she wasn't in any real danger— People faced hazards at work no matter what career they chose. Chelsea's job as a journalist was tame when you compared it to the risks that firefighters and soldiers and policemen, sometimes even public school teachers, took each and every day. The man on the other end of Bradley's cell phone identified himself as a hostage negotiator, but Bradley refused to talk to anybody but the Detroit superintendent. Chelsea wondered how Selina felt, the superintendent's daughter who had been kidnapped. Chelsea had never heard of any parent threatening anybody just because they were unhappy with school district policies. Of course, the scandal at Brown Elementary and its location on toxic soil was far more serious than whose child did or didn't make it into honors band— or whether or not high school seniors should be allowed to drive themselves off campus during lunch. If her editor realized she was here on this hijacked flight, he'd expect her to be taking notes, documenting the terror second by second. As Bradley got more and more agitated, arguing with the professional negotiator, Chelsea couldn't think about work at all. She couldn't think about the story she could write as a first-hand witness to Bradley's murderous rampage, couldn't think about how much time and effort he and his men must have put into planning this takeover. In the grips of her terror and fear, Chelsea could hardly find the strength to pray. She wondered if her mom was watching the news, if her parents had any idea what Chelsea was experiencing right here on Flight 219. Were they praying for her? Did they even know? Maybe they were just going about their normal, everyday lives, completely unaware that their daughter's plane had been hijacked. Chelsea thought about her friends. Of course, everybody at work would be seeing these events and covering them in real time, but had any of them put the puzzle pieces together to realize that one of their own was aboard this flight? What about Bree? Chelsea's best friend was notoriously bad at keeping up with current events, 
unless she stumbled across them in her Facebook feed. Bree was probably the last person to guess what was happening on this plane. Chelsea had lost the flow of Bradley's conversation with the hostage negotiator, but his yelling snapped her attention back to the phone call. You tell Weston that he calls me in two minutes, Bradley snarled, or another hostage dies. Thanks for listening to the Unabridged Christian Fiction Audiobook Podcast. This has been the Terror in the Skies series written by me, Alana Terry, and narrated by Becky Dowdy. If you want to listen to or read this entire series without interruptions, you can look for the Terror in the Skies series by Alana Terry wherever you shop for ebooks, paperbacks, or audiobooks.